FAQ. And FAQ, and what it means to us, it stands for frequently avoided questions. Not frequently asked questions, but frequently avoided questions. Do you have any questions that come to your mind that you hope no one will ask you? That maybe you don't know the answer to? Have you ever been in class before and the teacher's going over like a math problem or she needs help or needs an answer to something and she calls you out and you know that you were not paying attention and she calls you just because she knows that you're not paying attention and you sit there awkwardly like, oh my gosh, okay? Safe stories at the end, you can put your hands down. Have you ever had a moment like that? I don't know about you, but me being a Christian, there's some questions that I hope no one asks me sometimes, or especially in the past. And in this series, we're going to be addressing questions Christians hope no one will ask. Maybe even questions that you ask yourselves about the faith, about the Bible, about how Christians should live. And if you missed last week, last week we talked about why. Somebody say why. why? Like, why are we talking about this? Like, why are we going over this? And in short, if I had to put it simply, the reason that we're doing this is because... Does anybody consider themselves a Christian in here? Anybody who considers themselves a follower of Jesus? Guess what? The Bible says that if you're a Christian, if you believe in Jesus Christ, that you were actually called to be an ambassador for Christ. And what an ambassador is, and what an ambassador is it's someone who is the highest representative in a foreign area. And what that simply means is that you, being a Christian here on this planet called Earth, you got to understand this, that Earth is not our home. Earth is temporary, but our true home is with Jesus in heaven. So in the meantime, we're representing God to a dying and hurting and broken world and that we're being reflectors for Jesus Christ. So whenever people look at us, they shouldn't just see us, even though you do look good, you guys look good. They should see Jesus Christ on the inside of you and they should see something different. Anybody agree with that tonight? Come on. So if you missed last week, you can look it up on the YouTube channel, on the podcast. If you type in Legacy Students and you can check it out there. We had small groups afterward. It was awesome. But tonight's sermon title is this. If you take notes, I encourage you to take notes, guys. because We're going to be going over a lot of stuff. I believe that note takers are history makers. You can type in or write this sermon down on your notepad. And the sermon title is this. Visible evidence for an invisible God. Visible evidence for an invisible God. Okay. So I'm really excited about this message. Okay. So I hope this intrigues you. I hope that you lean in. I hope that you pay attention, but the sermon title for tonight is visible evidence for an invisible God. Okay. Now here's the one thing that I don't want to do. I don't want to go over this so fast, which I may go over it pretty fast. You can look at it later. I apologize. Sometimes I'm a quick talker, but I want to be sure that this message is not confusing, but it's clear. Does this make sense to you guys? Because sometimes, you know, I understand we come in here and, and stuff, but we don't really pay attention or stuff kind of goes over our head. But I want this message to make sense to you, okay? And we're going to go over facts. We're going to go over some history. We're going to go over different things. But I promise you, I'm going to do my best to convey it to you guys because I believe that clarity should always be over creativity. So if you pay attention tonight. So the question that we're asking ourselves tonight is this. What makes you so sure that God exists at all, especially when you can't see, hear, or touch him? Imagine this. Imagine... You're at school. Imagine you're in public and an atheist, an agnostic or someone who's really unsure about God comes up to you and asks you this question. What makes you so sure that God exists at all, especially when you can't see, hear or touch him? How would you respond to that? Now, don't respond right now. I'm just asking, you know, get in your mind. How would you are you ready to respond to questions like that? Because if we're being honest, this is like a legit question that people may have in life or maybe you ask yourself. 
in life. So anybody ready to receive tonight? Anybody ready to grow tonight? I'm going to go over some things. So if someone came up to me and asked this question to me, one of the first things that I would go over and first things I would say is this. I'm going to go straight into it tonight. First, and if, if I had expounded this question even more, because I'm going to bring more clarity to this. Another way someone may ask this question is, how can you know there's a God? He's not tangible. You can't weigh him, measure him, touch him, or see him with the naked eye, or detect him with the radar, and yet you believe in him. Why? This is a hypothetical and real question that somebody may have. First, I would point out to that person that there are a lot, get this, there are a lot of important things, guys, that we believe in without seeing, hearing, or touching them. Think about this for a minute. Somebody asks, why do you believe in God? You can't see him, you can't hear him, you can't touch him. Like, why do you believe in him? There's plenty of important things that we believe in in life that we don't see, hear, or touch. Such as, for example, love. Somebody shout love. Love. Now, I don't know where you may be at in the love spectrum. And I'm not talking about your love, how you feel when it comes to your boyfriend or girlfriend, maybe in middle school. First off, I do not encourage anybody to date in middle school or nothing like that. I did it. I would not go back. Okay. But I'm talking about real, genuine. (laughs) Somebody said amen. I'm talking about real, genuine love. For example, love. Love is a profound reality. Most of us in here, we believe in love. Anybody believe in love, right? This one word. Have you ever experienced love before? Um, You know, you may think about it because sometimes love can be hard um, to explain. Maybe someone spoke loving words over you. Maybe your parents. You just feel their love. Your grandma, you feel their love. Or whatever it may be. Someone special in your life, you feel loved by them. Maybe someone sacrificed for you. Maybe, you know, you wanted to go out and go shopping, get some clothes for school, and somebody came in, a family member, they said, hey, I want to help you out a little bit, and you just felt love as they helped you out. Maybe someone showed you care. Maybe you were sick. You had the flu. I hate being sick. You were in your bed, and mom comes in, dad comes in, they take care of you, they get you medicine, they get you soup, they feed you. I'm telling you what, I'm going to encourage you. you know, I believe that every single one of your parents love you. They've housed you. They fed you. I mean, they even changed their, your diapers whenever you're younger. I mean, you only do that if you love someone. So people love you. We experience love in different ways. But someone sacrificed you. They showed you care. And you felt this inexpressible feeling called love. But think about this. Love itself is not a material thing. Anybody follow me tonight? Love itself is not a material thing. What I mean by that is this. I cannot pull out in my back pocket and hold something that's like a card or like a weird shape and say, this is love, Right? I can't say, okay, guess what? This is love. Everybody gather around, touch it, throw it across the room. No, love is not like that. Love is not a physical entity, but it's very real. And here's what I've learned about love. Love is one of those things that you detect through its effects. Somebody say detect through its effects. You detect love through its effects. For example, like what we went over a little bit ago, right? How do we know love is real? Because we experience love firsthand by other people showing love for us. Or maybe even God showing love towards us. Think about this. Much like air. This is another thing. Much like air, you can't see air, right? I mean, we look around. I don't just see air, right? But guess what? You breathe air. You can feel air. You can experience it and you can move in it. Much like air, you can't. See it, but you can breathe it, experience it, and move in it. Or think about this gravity. Somebody say gravity. Gravity. It's not visible, but you better try not to ignore it, right? We know that gravity's there, that if you jump off a ledge, you're not going to float up, but you're going to go down. I don't encourage anybody to do that unless you're going like, anybody ever been like bluff diving before? 
Like anybody, that's what I mean by legs, like jumping into the water. Anybody ever done that? I've done that before. If I jump out, I'm going to go down. Gravity is not one of those things. It's like, I know that it's there. I may not be able to see it, but I know that it's there. It's not visible, but you better try not to ignore it. And guess what, guys? It's the same with God. We talked about air. We talked about love. We talked about gravity. But have you ever thought about God? Like, what is God? What is what does God look like? What, is, what does God feel like? Like, how is God God? I want you guys to get this. First, we have to know this, that God is spirit. Somebody say God is spirit. God is spirit. And that's so important, okay? Now, when we think of spirit, a lot of times we think about how Hollywood has set up this word called spirit, right? I don't know. Sometimes we think of that like that. Like, we think of evil spirits. We think of the conjuring. We think of insidious. We think of all these different things, right, in there. But I want you to understand this. God is actually a spirit. Angels are actually a spirit. That, that Satan himself is actually a spirit. You have to understand this. The world itself is not just all physical, but there's actually a supernatural, spiritual war taking place among us and even inside of us sometimes. That we may not be able to see it, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't believe it. That God himself, he is a spirit. Jesus even said it like this in John chapter 4, verse 24. He said, God is spirit. This is Jesus talking. He said, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in the spirit and in truth. And I want you guys to get this real quick, okay? I hope this is not going over your head. You guys understanding this? Look at me real quick, guys, everybody. I want you to understand this. Not only is God a spirit, but you are also a spirit as well. What I mean by that is this. You're not just a physical, carnal, fleshly human being that has skin and bones and muscle or other things. But guess what? You have something inside of, inside of you called a soul. You ever heard of that? A soul. And you have a spirit. The Bible says that we're made in the image of God. Think about this. God is three in one. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? We ourselves, we are, we are, we are bones, right? We are flesh. We are carnality. In other words, we are body our body, we have our soul, and we also have a spirit. And get this, we are a spirit inside a body with a soul, and we truly connect with God when we yield our spirits to his. And get this, the Bible says this. Is this making sense to you guys? I hope I'm not going too fast. I hope this is making sense to you guys. Get this, when we accept Jesus, guess what? The Bible says that whenever we accept Jesus, the spirit of God dwells within us. I've heard Slavic say it like this, you know? And that may scare you a little bit. It's like, what do you mean by that, Caleb? What I mean by that is this. That whenever we accept Jesus Christ into our lives, we believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, we repent of our sins, that the Spirit of God, the presence of God, the Spirit of Christ comes into your life and he makes a home inside of your soul and he brings your spirit back to life. And that's why it says in Scripture, greater is he that is in me than, than, than he that is in the world. That's why it says in Scripture, you know, the, the same spirit that resurrected Christ dwells and lives inside of you. That's why you got to have an understanding in Revelation. Guess what? The spirit of God actually lives in you. That back in the day, they used to have the spirit of God in the temple. But guess what? Jesus Christ, whenever he died and, and he rose again, there was no need for a temple for us to meet with God. Because guess what? We are now a temple where God's spirit dwells and lives in. So you, guess what? You have the spirit of God inside of this making sense to you guys. Okay. Okay. So get this. And I've heard Slavic say like this. God, we know that God wants to be personal with us. God doesn't want to be known as a distant entity, but God actually wants to be known as a personal savior in your life. Think about this. 
God doesn't want to be just high up in heaven looking down at you, judging you, bullying you, feeling bad for you. But no, we serve a God that is so personal and relational where he wants to step into your life and he wants to do amazing things and he wants to empower you with his spirit. I've heard Sanchez say it like this before. I loved how Sanchez said this. I had to give a plug for him. I said it whenever I, whenever I preached in the main sanctuary. Slavic, um, Sanchez said this. He said, don't let God's invisibility become a disability in your life. You may not be able to see God. That's good, right? Don't ever let God's invisibility, write that down. Don't let God's invisibility become a disability in your life. Make, guess what? You may not be able to see God right now, but guess what? You can feel God. You can experience God, right? It's, I think of the spirit of God like this. I think of it like air. I think of it as wind. Uh, it, it's, it's, I may not be able to see it with my physical eyes, but I know that it's there and I can feel the impact of God in my life. And I can see God moving, even during worship, guys. When you raise up your hands, whenever you lift up your voice, whenever you spend time in prayer in the morning, you may feel goosebumps. You may feel something like a peace inside of your spirit. You may feel like, you may not know how to describe it. You just feel like there's a weight on your head where you're just feeling so good. Guess what? That's not just hype or emotion or none of that, but that is actually the spirit of God that wants to make himself known to you. It says in scripture that if you seek God with all your heart, you will find him. So God's not trying to hide from us. God is right here and he's saying, hey, I want to be a part of your life. And the contrary, God actually chases after us, but we have to know that God is spirit. This is making sense to you guys. Come on, give Jesus a hand clap real quick. So the first thing is God is spirit. The second thing is one of the reasons that we know God is real and one of the ways that we can respond to people's question about, you know, why do you believe in God if you can't see, hear, or touch him is this. We can share with them our story, your testimony. And that's the second thing up there that you put up on the screen, your testimony. See, we all have a testimony. And I've met some people before that say, Caleb, I don't have a story. Like, I don't have a testimony because they think that in order for them to have a testimony or for them to have a story, pretty much the BC days before Christ, they think that they have to go out into the world, do all these bad things, go on drugs, alcohol, you know, fornic- fornic- fortification or all these different things. They think they have to live this crazy life. Did I say that right, Brooklyn? I hope so. Fornication. They have to go out and do all these different things and then God can come and save them and, they have, and then they have a testimony. But what I've learned in life is this. What I've learned in life is this. One of the greatest testimonies that you can ever have as a believer is to be able to say, God protect me. God, God kept me safe. God kept me pure. I went through high school and I said no to all these different things. And yes, I went through a season where I felt like I was all by myself, but I knew that God was with me and God used me in a mighty way. So guess what? It doesn't matter where you may be at in life. It doesn't matter what you may have been through in life. We all have a story that we can use to, to tell people and, and show people the power of God in our life. Say, I have a story. That's one of the best things that you can do. In other words, you have a testimony. And one of the most powerful things that you can share with someone as being a believer is your testimony or experience with God. Because this is what I've learned. And you can write this down. Experiences are hard to argue with. Experiences are hard to argue with. The Bible says this, that we defeat the enemy by, by the blood of the lamb, which is Jesus Christ, what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, and by the word of our testimony. Say, I have, a word. I have a word. See, by the word of your testimony. See, I don't know what your story is. I don't know what you may have been through. 
I don't know if you face depression or suicide or loneliness. Maybe your parents went through a divorce. Maybe you were just going through life, you know, battling religion or whatever it may be. Maybe you went through bullying at school. Maybe you went through some, 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 a season where you were so self-inflicting on yourself and you felt so bad about yourself. But then all of a sudden you got real with God and you talked to him and you put at the feet of Jesus and God changed you from the inside out. Guess what? That story and that experience isn't just for yourself, but that can actually be a story where you can use, tell other people at school, whatever, use wisdom, and you can lead people to Jesus. Anybody thankful for that? Maybe he healed someone of a disease. Maybe he restored a marriage. Maybe he delivered someone from addiction. Maybe God just kept you. God led you in life. God still moves today. You know, I've had people tell me, and as I get ready to get into the three evidences here in a minute, I'll explain that. I'm, I'm trying to do my best to be done within like the next 12 minutes or so. Um, but I've had people tell me in life, you know, we have people at the church. For example, I'll give you guys an example of a testimony of a story that makes God more real to me, guys. There was this person here at this church um, that I had met and they told me about what they had been through. They said that they got involved in gangs and this guy actually had a gunshot wound right here in the head. It went through one side of his head and went out the other side of his head. And and like, he goes to this church here and he has a powerful story. And I'm like, man, what's your story? Tell me a little bit about you. And he said that one of his friends actually died in a shooting. And what had happened was this. He said that the night that his friend died from a shooting, he didn't believe in Jesus at the time. The guy that had the gunshot wound in his head, he said that he didn't believe in Jesus. He didn't even like know if God God was real or if God existed. He said he was at home by himself sitting on the couch and he said that while he was sitting on the couch a television program came on on this christian channel that began to tell a movie and a story similar to what he had been experiencing where someone who had a friend died from something i believe it was from a car wreck or from a shooting and was caught up in gang violence and he felt like god was talking to him directly this making sense to you guys And he began to tell me that in that moment, he just felt the love of God in his heart all around him. And he gave his life to Jesus. And guess what? He told me this. He said in that moment, the presence of God, the spirit of God came into his life and filled up that room. He was all by himself. It was like in the a.m. at nighttime, guys. And he was sitting on the couch. And he said that the love and the peace that he felt didn't even compare to any crack to any drugs, to any alcohol, to any substance, any substance that he had ever experienced in his life. In other words, the presence of God was real in his life, and God came in and intervened and brought him out of that lifestyle, brought him out of that pit, and God is using him in incredible ways. Incredible ways. Anybody believe that tonight? Come on. Say, I have a story. You all have a story, and I want to encourage you. You're going to continue to build that story throughout time. Don't be ashamed of your testimony, Okay. So I love hearing stories like that. And I always encourage people, hey, continue to share your story. Continue to share your testimony. That's a powerful influence that you can make. And if all that isn't enough, can you talk about how God is a spirit, right? You guys following me tonight? How God is a spirit and that you have a testimony. And if that isn't enough, guess what? There's evidence all around us to prove the existence of God. You don't have to look far. You can just walk outside. You can look in the mirror and know that there's a God. You know what I mean? That, that we're not a cosmic accident or mistake. That, that none of, like, okay, like, and I, I, I can talk further about this, but one thing I want to say real quick before I proceed with the evidences is this. Um, a lot of this stuff that I got and a lot of stuff that I'm saying to you tonight and what we're about to dig into, I got from this book called um, Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask. You can write that down if you can. Um, questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask. I'll say that one more time. 
questions Christians hope no one will ask. I know a couple people are writing that down. Look up that book. Um, the, the author of the book is this guy called, called Mark Middleberg. Um, Mark Middleberg is really close friends to a guy named Lee Strobel. Um, Lee Strobel is the guy who wrote and directed the movie and the book Case for Christ, okay? And it's a true story about this guy. His name is Lee Strobel. This guy, I don't want to lose you guys, but I feel like I need to say this. Lee Strobel was actually someone who was a diehard atheist. Like, he did not believe in God. Like, he hated religion. He hated all these different things, right? And his wife ended up becoming a Christian. And what had happened was his wife became a Christian. He got upset. He said, okay, in order for my wife not to be a Christian, I need to prove that, 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 that God is a real, and I need to prove that Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead. So we did a two-year in-depth study. He read so many books. He traveled all around. He talked to so many different scientists. Yeah. And he came to the conclusion that it, it took just as much, just much faith to remain an atheist than it would be to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome, guys? So he became a follower of Jesus Christ. He's an awesome writer. And him and Mark, Mark who's the one who wrote the book, actually, they've talked to so many different people. In fact, they've met with groups of atheists, skeptics, and agnostics that would meet up and they would bash the Bible. They'd make fun of the Bible. They'd be condescending to the Bible. And after they talked and ministered to them and God used them in a mighty way, the same group of people that bashed the Bible and that were atheists end up giving their life to Jesus and they meet for Bible studies and now they're all Christians. Isn't that awesome, guys? I mean, that's awesome. So it's a great book and he goes over questions Christians hope no one asks. So if I'm going to go through these things tonight, the three evidences really quick, I'm going to try to go through it. It may be a little quicker than what you're used to, but I want to encourage you. If you want to go more in depth, read this book and it has a lot of this in there as well. The first evidence, get this, the first evidence to God existing in the world is this, the existence of of the universe. Think about this, guys. Have you ever thought about how the universe came to be? Think about the universe. And what I mean by the universe is this. You, you, like our planet is considered part of the universe. The stars, the sun, our solar system, our galaxy, um, other galaxies out there, like the cosmos, the vacuum of space. Like the universe is huge, right? Like the universe almost like some people say it's endless, right? Have you ever thought about where the universe came from? And we know as Christians and believers where I know where I, I, I think the universe came from, right? But get this, for a long time, people thought the universe was eternal. In other words, some people thought, a lot of scientists and ancient thinkers thought that the universe had no beginning. That the universe has always been here and it will always be here. That the universe will always continue to exist and it, it never had a beginning. But it wasn't until the 20th century, I hope this is making sense to you guys. It wasn't until the 20th century that they discovered that the universe actually had a beginning. And one of the scientific confirmations to the universe actually having a beginning was the invention of the Hubble Space Telescope. Anybody familiar with that te telescope? I love space, I love looking into space. There's this, there's this telescope that's actually revolving around the Earth that takes photographs and pictures deep into space, billions and billions of light years away. And the Hubble Space Telescope took a picture in the 20th century of a part of space and the scientists realized that the universe was actually growing and still expanding. That the universe was actually still growing. So in other words, the, the scientists realized that the universe actually had a beginning. That if it's continuing to grow, that actually had a beginning. Secondly, Einstein, anybody, anybody familiar with Einstein, all right? Like one of the smartest guys in the world, right? Einstein in 1915, 
he developed this theory called the general theory of relativity, which is way too complex for me to explain even if I could do it, okay? But he came up with this, this, this theory of relativity that is now universally accepted by scientists and philosophers all over the world. Like everybody believes in this theory just about, all scientists. But one of the implications for this theory, I, I know this is a lot, okay, I'm trying to, I want you guys to process this. Is this making sense to you guys? And you can look at this later. One of, the, one of the implications of this theory was that the universe actually had a beginning. But here's the funny thing. Einstein wasn't happy about it. Other scientists weren't happy with this result because it actually pointed to the biblical account of creation where it said in the beginning. See, they thought the universe actually always existed, but it come to, fi- come to find out the universe actually had a beginning. And the universe is anything that's time, anything that's space, and anything that's matter. And get this, in spite of what, you be- in spite of what people believe, science is not at odds with God. Sometimes we think, oh, let's not talk about science and God. Why? Because science comes against God. But guys, that is not the case. Actually, science actually provides compelling evidence for the existence of God. The Bible literally starts like this. It says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which is time, space, and matter. And get this. This is one big thing about science. You've heard about cause and effect, right? Now, like in order for there to be an effect, there has to be a cause, right? See, get this. Something had to cause the universe. And that thing had to be outside of the universe. Something cannot create something within itself. That's a contradiction. You can't do that. So that means that something or someone outside of time itself, outside of space and outside of matter, had to make something happen. And I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like the God of the Bible, who we believe is omnipresent, which means that God is everywhere at all times. He's omnipotent, which means that he has all power and all authority and omniscient, which pretty much means he knows all things. So in other words, in order for the universe to even exist, someone powerful and mighty and even intelligent had to create it. And it takes just as much faith to believe that something else happened that was an accident than to believe that there was a master designer and creator. See, there's atheists that believe in the virgin birth of the universe, but we believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. I believe that... Thousands and thousands, if not even millions of years ago, there was a God that spoke a word. And whenever he spoke a word, it carried so much weight that God spoke the universe and he spoke you into existence. You are not an accident. You were created on purpose for purpose. Thank you, Alicia. Now, here's the next question. I got two more minutes left, but I don't know how I'm going to do this. Uh, May go five minutes over. This is making sense to you guys. Are you guys grabbing something out of tonight? Here's the next question. If God created the universe, then who created God? Okay, that's a big question people may have. If God created the universe, then who created God? If everything that has a beginning has to, if anything that has a beginning has to have a cause, then who caused God? But get this, that question is actually an argument against itself because it's making the suggestion that God actually had a beginning. But get this, God never actually had a beginning at all. God is the, and this is so hard for us to comprehend or realize or wrap our minds around. But what I've learned is this. God is so big, I can't even comprehend him. God's vast and God's might and his strength and who he is as a person. If I could understand God, I would be God. But I can't understand God. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. 
like God is so mighty and he's so big. And get this, God, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in other words, God has no beginning and God will never have no end. That's why he is God. He is not limited by anything else. He's not limited by all these different things that we may be limited by. He's only limited by the parameters that he set by his word and by his commandments and all these different things. We understand that God is God. So in other words, God never had a beginning. Nothing caused God. God just is. God has been here since the beginning, and he will forever be there. And that may be hard for us to understand, but that's something really important that we have to grab a hold of. God had no beginning. He doesn't need a cause. He just is. Evidence number two. I'm going to go through these really, really quick. I may just go over evidence two, and you'll come look at evidence three later. Golly, I'm only like, like I have like one third of my notes left. Is this making sense to you guys? Evidence number two for the existence of God, why do you believe in God if you can't see, hear, or touch him is this, our finely tuned world and universe. Our finely tuned world and universe. Don't you think the world is beautiful? Like honestly, like we have a, like the mountains, uh, the hills, the valleys. I mean, there's some parts of the world that don't look as pretty, I understand. Um, but the oceans, the rivers, even think about this, animals, land, sea, um, and air creatures, guess what? We have discovered, this is the animals that we have discovered, we have discovered over 8.7 million different species on the planet. Dang. Land, sea, and, right, that's cool. We've discovered 8.7 million. And also get this, right now, get this, the earth is traveling around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. And if the earth was any closer to the sun, we'd be scorched and burnt. If we were any further from the sun, we'd be frozen. And get this, on top of all of that, our galaxy, or actually our solar system, is traveling around our galaxy at an astounding 490,000 miles per hour. You're sitting right here in this room, but you don't realize that you're traveling at over half a million miles per hour as we speak. That your body has moved that much within the time. And I mean, there's so much stuff about this. Isn't that crazy to wrap your mind around, wrap, map your mind around like animals, the placement of the earth and all these different things. Think about this. The odds of this happening on its own by accident, by sheer chance, are vanishingly small and thus point to an intelligent designer. One whom the Bible calls God. I understand some of you guys are really good at Fortnite. My bro, Josh. He can tear it up on Fortnite. He can build so much stuff like so quickly. I understand. And maybe some of you girls out there, you like fashion, you like design, you like clothing, you like apparel or whatever it may be. But guess what? God is so, he's the master designer. God is so much great. He, he's an intelligent designer. Guess what? Yeah. He creates masterpieces. You know how I know? Because he created you. He created you. You are a masterpiece. The Bible even says that we are his workmanship. So be careful if you always, you know, are so negative about yourself and say how bad you look. Because you're not just criticizing yourself, but you're also criticizing the one who created you and formed you in your mother's womb. God created you. He created the heavens. He created the earth. He created all these different things. And it's no accident that we're here. The chances of us even being on this life, being, having a life on earth is so small. It was not on accident. God God spoke it and God placed it all together. And the facts are what I just said earlier. This making sense to you guys? All right, I got 50 seconds on there. All right, I'm going to go ahead and close. You guys stand to your feet tonight because they're just over there at service. And I'm going I'm to give you this point right here and you can write this down if you want. The last thing that I would say is this, evidence number three. 
um, would be our morally good universe. Our morally good universe. In other words, you can go back, Luke, to the evidence number three. This is the last evidence I would say that, that points to the existence of God is our morally good universe. And um, morals, you know morals, right? Morality, that pretty much means like what's right and what's wrong. What's good and what's bad. And I think there's a lot of things that we can agree on no matter who you are that are bad, right? And that are good. So, for example, you know, murder is bad. Rape is bad. Stealing is bad. Lying is bad. There's some things that we can agree that are bad, right? And there's some things that we can agree are, that are good, right? As humanity as a whole. Have you ever thought about this? Where do those feelings come from? Get this. God embedded that in your DNA. That those feelings, those moral boundaries, objective morality, didn't come by an explosion or by accident. But God actually placed that inside of us so we have an awareness and understanding of what is good and what is bad. That's one of the biggest arguments that atheists can't argue about when it comes to the existence of God. Okay, if God, if if there's no God, then why do we have these feelings? What what about morality? What about objective morality? What is good and what is bad? Are we just like any other animal out there? Do we have a conscience? Do we have a soul? Like where did that come from? That's a big thing as well. But as I get ready to close tonight, the last thing I want to say is this is my conclusion. 